Welcome, everyone, to the Watchmen podcast by Fantastic Geek, your official, unofficial podcast for Watchmen on HBO. My name is Matt, and joining me, as always, is Pete. Hello, Pete. Hello, Matt. Hello, everybody. The Watchmen podcast by Fantastic Geek revisits Chapter 10, Two Riders Were Approaching. Can't wait to dig into that, Pete. Can't believe that after this podcast, we only have two chapters to go. And all of that will be done, of course, ahead of the October 20th premiere of Watchmen on HBO. Can't wait for everybody else to see that pilot. Can't. And that we're down to just two, the anticipation, Matt, to be able to podcast this series that from the moment it was announced... We had decided at Fantastic Geek, we had to podcast. Talking about the future, talking about the past, today we're talking chapter 10 of the graphic novel. My summary from the wiki at watchman.fandom.com is as follows. The opening image, a radar screen showing two incoming aircraft. As President Nixon waits during rising tensions with the USSR, Rorschach and Night Owl prepare to continue to investigate the identity of the killer of masked heroes. They pick up threads on the conspiracy to kill Adrian Veidt. Veidt, meanwhile, puts on his Ozymandias garb to watch the world's coverage of current events. On the secret island, the crew assembled to create the quote-unquote monster movie is finally able to leave on a ship a ship with a bomb that explodes, killing everyone. In Veidt's empty office, Rorschach and Night Owl continue to dig, reaching the conclusion that the whole conspiracy leads back to Veidt at the top. They leave for Veidt's Antarctic lair, but not before Rorschach makes his final journal entry and sends the journal into a mailbox. In the Antarctic, Rorschach and Night Owl approach Veidt's lair as Ozymandias watches, declaring everything's all right. The closing quotation Outside, in the distance, a wild cat did growl. Two riders were approaching. The wind began to howl. That's from All Along the Watchtower by Bob Dylan. And the attached documents are letters, promotional materials, and other business documents taken from the desk of Adrian Veidt. The action definitely ratchets up in this chapter. Um, particularly enjoy the memorandum in the uh, attached documents, the uh, the action figure lineup. And this is one thing the the movie does correctly. You know, they've they've got the the action figure lineup there in his office and and everything. And it just speaks to the, you know, corporatization the, the real assembly line, buttoned up business approach of Adrian Veidt to world domination. It's a fun look at the quote unquote real world that Adrian Veidt inhabits. I kind of wish somehow it went deeper, like it's broad in that we're seeing, uh, you know, the development of the toy line and his thoughts on it. And it's kind of some of his familiar language, you know, must have lunch soon. Uh, you know, love to Bob and things like that. Uh, and it certainly has that intimate feel of things plucked from his desk. Ultimately, what information can we take from it? Maybe not a lot. Um, not a huge argument, but I think back to some of the other attached documents that really gave us great insight. And looking to, you know, there's the bit about, okay, we have, uh, we have, heroes who are uh you know disgraced 
we can use their their likeness since technically, you know, uh, they're they're doing the wrong thing. Yeah, it's that notion of encroachment, that notion of we could do it because it's good business, I guess. Um, there's even some of the the tiptoeing of wanted to run this by you because you do have a personal connection. Um, of course, I, I guess we do have some insight into Vite that his response is not, no, I feel nostalgia for these costumed heroes, let's avoid it. The answer is more so war toys sell a lot better when times are tough and strife mm. is in the air. Let's create a fake you know, terrorist group that Ozymandias and Bubastis can fight because um, that will simply sell better. Yeah, because that was never done with G.I. Joe and Cobra. Um, points off to Adrian Veidt, uh, the fictional character, for wanting to give an action figure toy to his genetic hybrid uh, animal. Points off to Veidt, I'd say points added to Moore and Gibbons. There's something really weird about that like there's kind of, it's kind of akin to the you know yes fancy restaurant waiter uh do wrap up my my sirloin steak i'm gonna take it home to poochikins <laughs> like th there's something there that's slightly cloying about vite wants to show it you know meanwhile it's a genetically engineered cat that's gonna look at this hunk of plastic and sniff it determine that it's not um edible nor kind of interesting to chew and probably move on you know, there's something to me, it kind of does give insight here in this attached document section that I said was perhaps insightless. Um, it's kind of like his greatest connection in the world is to this pet he made himself, not the people serving him, not yeah. other people in, in similar, if not the same circles. You know, he's going to take a toy home to, to Bubastis. Over the top metaphor alert, Matt. The uh, gentleman in the beginning of the chapter gets into the helicopter carrying the nuclear football, which is actually a silver football handcuffed to him. Yeah, I don't know if that was maybe a cultural mistranslation. Um, I know that that's what they call the bag that holds the nuclear codes. I could tell you, Pete, last time I was in Washington, D.C., October 2016, uh, they had a Bill Clinton era, you know, nuclear football uh, bag that was at the uh, at the Smithsonian. Kind of looked like a very heavy briefcase, maybe a bit softer. Um, certainly, kind of better protected. I'm all but sure that it had a handcuff uh, attached to it, um, <laughs> so that way it doesn't get lost by you know by whoever's holding it. I don't know that it's usually the president that has it. By the way, I'm sure it's some sort of aid from the Department of Defense or that sort of thing, but they're going with the panache here. Let's not forget this is a comic book at the end of the day. Uh, but yeah, a little criticism there for it being so literally presented. How many yards do you think you could have thrown it? Uh, I think Tricky Dick Nixon at the age, he probably would have been in his 70s or 80s at, at, at this point. Uh, Pete, like all, like all, great presidents he could have thrown that 100 nay 200 yards because he's the fittest <laughs> he would he would have been pete at that point the fittest president to have ever been in office um uh, i won't say when he was supplanted but i think some people might suspect uh, who that could be yeah 
Um, as the action for Vite moves to his uh, Arctic lair, um, particularly enjoy how we set up in front of the screens. Uh, we're, we're setting up the bit at the end um, in the attached documents with Bubastus. Oh, hello, old girl. Uh, that whole thing. We're also, in a certain sense, particularly in those scenes, but in this entire chapter, you know, Pete, I'll use some lost language here. This is kind of sort of a Sun and Jin episode, which is to say there's not a lot of action. Uh, certainly many of our primary characters, I mean, it, it, this is ultimately an ensemble book, but Dr. Manhattan, Laurie, not in it. Comedian, you know, obviously at this point in the timeline, dead, but we're not getting comedian flashbacks uh, at all. And there's a lot in this chapter that is set up for the remaining two, although it doesn't feel that way. And I think that's the best compliment. Maybe the best scene, the best page in this chapter is the one in which Rorschach goes back to his apartment to get his spare costume and his spare face, confronts the landlady who had claimed that he had pursued her sexually. He, of course, somebody living a, uh, uh, a life free of uh, physical pursuits. Um, and, uh, he confronts her on that. She, of course, says she was misquoted, Pete. You know, that's right. It's the fault of fake news. Uh, he then, um, rather pointedly, uh, uses a word to describe her as somebody who's exchanging acts for pay. Um, and then this heartfelt couple of panels, um, please don't say that the kids don't know. And he kind of looks down um a, a a panel of him showing ultimate sympathy this is so far from the crazed person pulled out of the the building when he was arrested a, a different building granted um and then they head out and there's just one more page of the mother on the floor sobbing with her children this is a chapter that includes a genetically engineered cat servants in the arctic lair uh hoverboard type things towards the end mm -hmm. the owl ship etc etc and this scene here is this kind of emotional grounding to it where it's a whole bunch of wrong sad answers and the parallelism of the ratcheted up uh detective work that um rorschach and dan are doing and the uh, the comic story, um, Tales of the Black Freighter, and everything that happens there. Yeah, I must admit, I kind of, I read the Black Freighter stuff, but it kind of, I get it. I understand the point that, you know, uh, the, the sailor is uh, so crazed trying to do the right thing, even though it's the wrong thing and all that. Um, I have to, have to wonder how much of the Black Freighter stuff at this point in chapter 10 to such great degree where it's not even like alternating panels and whatnot. Uh, it's just kind of, you know, a whole page and a half of it. How much is driven by like, oh, gee whiz, we're a page and a half short versus like this really is ultra meta commentary, postmodern literature, different texts dialoguing with each other. I think you know which end I lean on, but, you know, Pete and listener, feel free to disagree. The protagonist of the Black Freighter, having become 
the thing he sought to destroy. This is essentially Adrian Vito. It is. Um, and we're not meant to understand that necessarily on first read. I guess maybe we can start to suspect it in this chapter. Um, the, the great, you know, squid attack uh, not having happened yet. Uh, that said, you know, it's like, okay, I, I could have gotten that with what had already been said um, in the Black Raider story of normal guy otherwise marooned and now doing all these awful things and using the body of the, the bodies of the dead to float along and pulling birds out of the air and ripping their flesh and all of that. Like, I get it more in Gibbons. I get the metaphor. I don't need it necessarily hammered home. Well, you bring up the squid subplot. And again, this chapter all about moving pieces into position, the disclosure that they've used um, a geneticist to make this special effect. Um, the, uh, the, the now, uh, found by us, but, uh, missing to the rest of the world, uh, comic book writer, Max, um, having some, uh, some friendly time below decks. And, you know, when you, when you're reaching for a brassiere strap and instead, uh, on, uh, earth, a tarpaulin under which there is a bomb. Uh, yeah, you know, stuff happens. I have to say, I particularly like that scene. Um, it's starting on the shoreline as the ship is getting ready to leave. We have the dialogue of the writer and his, uh, special horizontal lay down lady friend, um, which, you know, we don't see who's speaking, so there's this slightly incongruous thing going on. Then you flip the page, and there they are, in flagrante delicto. Uh, Pete, I'm not saying it's okay, particularly as, you know, reference is made to, um, you know, she wants to do this now because she's married to an oaf and has spoiled sons. She's impatient. So get, you know what? You go get, girl, what you got to get. That's all okay. And I'm certainly not passing judgment. That's what I'm trying to say. What I like, though, is this poignant human moment where from his point of view he sees the bomb and she says what's wrong and he says nothing love nothing's wrong hold me because he knows the bomb is about to go off again i'm not necessarily justifying the circumstances that got them there but just kind of this moment of wow the end is about to happen i don't need to make it worse for you the you know here we are at the end the end boom there's just something incredibly heartfelt there even though it's you know uh an uncomfortable place for them to be uh doing a thing for maybe not all the best reasons the hiroshima lovers last thing from me pete i i don't aside from the black freighter stuff i have no problem with any of the pacing of this chapter and indeed this as a graphic novel i do appreciate that Different chapters have faded away from the search to find the killer of masked heroes. Uh, and I, you know, and that's been at the at the requirements of individual chapters and the stories they wanted to tell. I kind of appreciate that we get, with not a lot of fanfare, we get, you know, two and a half pages of logging into Vite's computer, looking at stuff to sit and go unambiguously. Uh, I think it's Adrian. And then some explanation from there, like... All right, enough fooling, enough, you know, enough mystery, enough, you know, 
what is this about? What's the metaphor? Just to come out and say, Adrian Veidt is the bad guy. Now we're going to have you understand that for the remaining, you know, two and a quarter chapters. I appreciate that direct line. Yet we don't fully understand the end game. So he's positioned himself in his uh, not fortress of solitude. And uh, these riders are approaching and the wind began to howl. Well, Pete, we, of course, at Fantastic Geek have our own riders howling along with us. That's those who visit patreon.com slash fantastic geek to help make sure that our owl ship never crashes on the snowy tundra, but continues to go on and on and on. Everybody who contributes gets access to exclusive podcast content. So all it takes is a dollar and you can be inside an Arctic pyramid and pet Matt's genetically engineered creature. Meow and all sorts of other prizes and perks there, Pete. But the best one is always a freebie that's talking to you on Twitter. How can people do so? You can find me on Twitter at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J-K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R, K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R, 10,680 followers. Can't be wrong. And while I am personally on Twitter, looking back lost, do me a touch of the podcast, comment on fantasticgeek.com. Check us out on Twitter, Instagram, Gmail, where we are Fantastic Geek as well. But wait, Pete, there's more. Facebook.com slash Fantastic Geek. All one word with the PH. Like it today. Pete, we will be talking the next chapter in the Watchmen graphic novel soon and wrapping it up certainly in the next week or week plus. All of it ahead of the October 20th premiere of Watchmen on HBO. With that, I will say adios to all our listeners and give you the final word. Hold me. Hold me. 